Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Chapter 120 The Deck Towards the End of the First Night Watch Ahab, standing by the helm, Starbuck approaching him. We must send down the main topsail yard, sir. The band is working loose, and the lee lift is half-stranded. Shall I strike it, sir? Strike nothing. Lash it. If I had skysail poles, I'd sway them up now. Sir, in God's name, sir. Well? The anchors are working, sir. Shall I get them inboard? Strike nothing and stir nothing, but lash everything. The wind rises, but it has not got up to my tablelands yet. Quick and see to it. By masts and keels, he takes me for the hunchback skipper of some coasting smack. Send down my main topsail yard. Ho, oh, glue pots, loftiest trucks are made for wildest winds. And this brain truck of mine now sails amid the cloud scud. Shall I strike that? Oh, none but cowards send down their brain trucks in tempest time. What a hoorah aloft there. I would even take it for sublime. Did I not know that the colic is a noisy malady? Oh, take medicine, take medicine. Chapter 121 Midnight The Foxel Bulwarks Stub and flask mounted on them and passing additional lashings over the anchors there hanging. No, Stub, you may pound that knot there as much as you please, but you will never pound into me what you were just now saying. And how long ago it is since you said the very contrary? Didn't you once say that whatever ship Ahab sails in, that ship should pay something extra on its insurance policy— just as though it were loaded with powder barrels, aft and boxes of lucifers forward. Stop now, didn't you say so? Well, suppose I did. What then? I've part changed my flesh since that time. Why not my mind? Besides, supposing we are loaded with powder barrels aft and lucifers forward, how the devil could the lucifers get a fire in this drenching spray here? Why, my little man, you have pretty red hair, but you couldn't get a fire now. Shake yourself. Your Aquarius, or the water-bearer, flask, might fill pitchers at your coat collar. Don't you see, then, that for these extra risks, the marine insurance companies have extra guarantees? Here are hydrants, flask. But hark, again, and I'll answer you the other thing. First, take your leg off from the crown of the anchor here, "'though so I can pass the rope. "'Now listen. "'What's the mighty difference "'between holding a mass lightning rod in the storm 
and standing close by a mast that hasn't got any lightning rod at all in a storm. Don't you see, you timberhead, that no harm can come to the holder of the rod unless the mast is first struck? What are you talking about, then? Not one ship and a hundred carries rods, and Ahab, I man, and all of us, were no more danger then, in my poor opinion, than all the crews in ten thousand ships now sailing the seas. Why, you king post you, I suppose you would have every man in the world go about with a small lightning rod running up the corner of his hat, like a militia officer's skewered feather, and trailing behind like his sash. Why don't ye be sensible, Flask? It's easy to be sensible. Why don't ye, then? Any man with half an eye can be sensible. I don't know that, Stubb. You sometimes find it rather hard. Yes, when a fellow's soaked through, it's hard to be sensible. That's a fact. And I'm about drenched with this spray. Never mind. Catch the turn there and pass it. Seems to me we are lashing down these anchors now, as if they are never going to be used again. Tying these two anchors here, Flask, seems like tying a man's hands behind him. And what big generous hands they are, to be sure. These are your iron fists, eh? What a hold they have, too. I wonder, Flask, whether the world is anchored anywhere. If she is, she swings with an uncommon long cable, though. There, hammer that knot down, and we've done. So, next to touching land, lighting on deck is the most satisfactory. I say, just ring out my jacket skirts, will ye? Thank ye. They laugh at long togs, so, Flask. But seems to me a long-tailed coat ought always to be worn in all storms afloat. The tails tapering down that way serve to carry off the water, do you see? Same with cocked hats. The cocks form gable and eave troughs, Flask. No more monkey jackets and tarpaulins for me. I must mount a swallowtail and drive down a beaver so. Hello. Oof, there goes my tarpaulin overboard. Lord, Lord, that the winds that come from heaven should be so unmannerly. This is a nasty night, lad. Chapter 122 Midnight Aloft Thunder and Lightning The main topsail yard Tashtigo passing new lashings around it. Um, 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 stop that thunder. Plenty too much thunder up there. What's the use of thunder? We don't want thunder. We want rum. Give us a glass of rum. Um, um. Chapter 123 The Musket During the most violent shocks of the typhoon, the man at the Pequod's jawbone tiller had several times been reelingly hurled to the deck by its spasmatic motions, even though preventer tackles had been attached to it, for they were slack, because some play to the tiller was indispensable. In a severe gale like this, while the ship is but a tossed shuttlecock to the blast, it is by no means uncommon to see the needles in the compasses, at intervals, go round and round. It was thus with the Pequod's. At almost every shock, the helmsman had not failed to notice the whirling velocity with which they revolved upon the cards. It is a sight that hardly anyone can behold without some sort of unwanted emotion. Some hours after midnight, the typhoon abated so much that through the strenuous exertions of Starbuck and Stubb, 
One engaged forward and the other aft, the shivered remnants of the jib and fore and main topsails were cut adrift from the spars and went eddying away to leeward, like the feathers of an albatross, which sometimes are cast to the winds when that storm-tossed bird is on the wing. The three corresponding new sails were now bent and reefed, and a storm trysail was set further aft, so that the ship soon went through the water with some precision again. And the course, for the present, east-south-east, which he was to steer, if practicable, was once more given to the helmsman. For during the violence of the gale, he had only steered according to its vicissitudes. But as he was now bringing the ship as near her course as possible, watching the compass, meanwhile, lo, a good sign, the wind seemed coming round astern. Aye, the foul breeze became fair. Instantly the yards were squared to the lively song of Ho, the fair wind, O ye ho, cheerly men, the crew singing for joy that so promising an event should so soon have falsified the evil portents preceding it. In compliance with the standing order of his commander to report immediately and at any one of the twenty-four hours any decided change in the affairs of the deck, Starbuck had no sooner trimmed the yards to the breeze however reluctantly and gloomily, then he mechanically went below to apprise Captain Ahab of the circumstance. Ere knocking at his stateroom, he involuntarily paused before it a moment. The cabin lamp, taking long swings this way and that, was burning fitfully, and casting fitful shadows upon the old man's bolted door, a thin one with fixed blinds inserted in place of upper panels. The isolated subterraneanness of the cabin made a certain humming silence to reign there, though it was hooped round by all the roar of the elements. The loaded muskets in the rack were shiningly revealed as they stood upright against the forward bulkhead. Starbuck was an honest, upright man. But out of Starbuck's heart, at that instant when he saw the muskets, there strangely evolved an evil thought but so blent with its neutral or good accompaniments that for the instant he hardly knew it for itself. He would have shot me once, he murmured. Yes, there's the very musket that he pointed at me, that one with the studded stock. Let me touch it, lift it. Strange that I, who have handled so many deadly lances, strange that I should shake so now. Loaded, I must see. Aye, aye, and powder in the pan, that's not good. Best spill it? Wait. I'll cure myself of this. I'll hold the musket boldly while I think. I come to report a fair wind to him. But how fair? Fair for death and doom? That's fair for Moby Dick. It's a fair wind that's only fair for that accursed fish. The very tube he pointed at me. The very one. This one, I hold it here. He would have killed me with the very thing I handle now. Aye, and he would fain kill all his crew. Does he not say he will not strike his spars to any gale? Has he not dashed his heavenly quadrant? And in these same perilous seas gropes he not his way by mere dead reckoning of the error-bounding log? And in this very typhoon did he not swear that he would have no lightning rods? but shall this crazed old man be tamely suffered to drag a whole ship's company down to doom with him?'
yes, it would make him the willful murderer of thirty men and more, if this ship come to any deadly harm. And come to deadly harm, my soul swears this ship will, if Ahab have his way. If then he were this instant put aside, that crime would not be his. Ha! Huh. Is he muttering in his sleep? Yes, just there. In there, he's sleeping. Sleeping. I but still alive, and soon awake again. I can't withstand thee, then, old man. Not reasoning, not remonstrance, not entreaty, wilt thou hearken to. All this thou scornest. Flat obedience to thy own flat commands. This is all thou breathest. I, and sayest the men have vowed thy vow, sayest all of us are Ahab's. Great God forbid, but is there no other way? No lawful way. Make him a prisoner to be taken home. What? Hope to wrest this old man's living power from his own living hands. Only a fool would try it. Say he were pinioned even, knotted all over with ropes and hawsers, chained down to ring bolts on this cabin floor. He would be more hideous than a caged tiger then. I could not endure the sight, could not possibly fly his howlings. All comfort, sleep itself, inestimable reason, would leave me on the long, intolerable voyage. What then remains? The land is hundreds of leagues away, and locked Japan the nearest. I stand alone here upon an open sea, with two oceans, and a whole continent between me and law. Aye, aye, tis so. Is heaven a murderer when its lightning strikes a would-be murderer in his bed, tindering sheets and skin together? And would I be a murderer, then if... And slowly, stealthily, and half sideways looking, he placed the loaded musket's end against the door. On this level, Ahab's hammock swings within, his head this way, a touch, and Starbuck may survive to hug his wife and child again. Oh, Mary, Mary, boy, boy, boy. But if I wake thee not to death, old man, who can tell to what unsounded deeps Starbuck's body, this day weak, may sink, with all the crew? Great God, where art thou? Shall I? Shall I? The wind has gone down and shifted, sir. The fore and main topsails are reefed and set. She heads her course. Stern all, O Moby Dick, I clutch thy heart at last. Such were the sounds that now came hurtling from out of the old man's tormented sleep, as if Starbuck's voice had caused the long, dumb dream to speak. The yet-leveled musket shook like a drunkard's arm against the panel. Starbuck seemed wrestling with an angel. But turning from the door, he placed the death tube in its rack and left the place. He's too sound asleep, Mr. Stubb. Go thou down and wake him and tell him, I must see to the deck here. Thou knowest what to say. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.